this past week as uh, Heath and I were looking over the passage um, of Luke 12, 1 through 12, we were reading over it and we realized that these are some harsh words from Jesus. And uh, as I was studying it this past week, um, Jesus does not mince any words in this passage. In fact, uh, here on out throughout Luke, um, he does not pull any punches. Uh, these are strong words, and um, a lot for us to talk about and consider this morning. One of the things that um, I do on occasion is uh, try to check the headlines uh, of what is going on in our world. Uh, Stephanie and I uh, don't have cable, and so we don't often get to see the news and what is happening, so we get our news from uh, the internet. Uh, occasionally, I'll check CNN. Um, don't judge me because I judge the, uh, I check CNN first and then I'll check Fox News. Anyways, um, but one of the headlines on CNN this past week, kind of buried on the side, uh, was this headline about Christians in Pakistan. And it caught my attention and I clicked on it. And it was this short little story about a Christian couple in Pakistan that had lost their life earlier this week. I don't know if you had heard about it. Uh, but according to uh, CNN, local police officials said a mob from neighboring villages formed after the couple was declared guilty of blasphemy for desecrating the Quran. The mob allegedly marched to the couple's home, broke down their door, dragged them outside, beat them, and threw them into a brick kiln, which is where this couple had worked. I don't know about you, but uh, I know that this stuff happens on a daily basis, but I just don't hear about it. And um, it really opened my eyes uh, to, to what is going on in our world. I'm not overly concerned about persecution. And uh, if you were honest, I, I think you would probably say the same thing. This isn't a part of the world that I live in. And, um, but this was reality for the disciples. Or at least it was going to be after Jesus' ascension. So what Jesus is doing in this passage this morning is he is preparing them for what is to come. Let's get back up to speed in what we're doing, uh, uh, how we're marching our way through Luke. Uh, Jesus at this point has set his face toward Jerusalem. He knows that his end is near. And so he is preparing his disciples. He is preparing them so that he will send them out to spread the gospel the good news about what Jesus has done. He is sending them out on a mission to spread the word to the ends of the earth. And he needs to prepare them for that. So as we see here in verse 2, Jesus teaches his disciples first. Even though there's a crowd around him, so much so that people are actually trampling on each other. Uh, to get to Jesus. He is drawing so many people, but he doesn't speak to the crowds. He speaks to his disciples. And he says to them, be on your guard against the things that you need to worry about, but don't be afraid of the things that you don't. And he says to be on guard against the hypocrisy, the leaven of the Pharisees and its effects. Uh, last week we talked about this hypocrisy that Jesus calls the Pharisees out on. He went over to this Pharisee's house and um, 
maybe not uh, as most guests would do, but what Jesus does is he calls the Pharisees out. They have this awkward dinner conversation where Jesus points out their faults. He shares the truth of the gospel with them. And the, uh, the Pharisees then say, well, Jesus, you're insulting us. And what he does is he continues to point out the sin in their lives. And he points them to the fact that they need a Savior. They need Him. They need to realize that. Because their hypocrisy, they are blind to this fact. And Jesus is concerned for His disciples. Because He does not want them to be affected by the Pharisees. He doesn't want this leaven of the Pharisees to infect the disciples as well. So, you know what leaven is. It's yeast. And you know when you add yeast to bread, what happens? It works its way through the entire dough. It doesn't stay in one place. It works its way all the way through. And this is what happens to hypocrisy. It doesn't just stay in one area of our lives. It works our way, its way through our entire lives. So this hypocrisy that Jesus is talking about, it takes on a lot of forms. We talked about some last week. We'll talk about some this morning as well. Uh, the major form that Jesus is warning about here is pretending to be righteous on the outside, but on the inside being full of sin. Because what hypocrisy is, is a refusal to admit our own condition. It's an attempt to paint us in a better light than what we actually deserve. It's an attempt to airbrush our lives. Many of you may have seen these, uh, these YouTube videos that people show about what advertising agencies do to the models that they use in their campaigns to airbrush them to make them look beautiful to what our standards of beauty actually are. And they take a woman and they completely edit and airbrush and change her into someone that you wouldn't even recognize the two pictures next to each other. They remove all of the blemishes so that it appears that these women are perfect. That's hypocrisy. And that's what we do as Christians. We try to make ourselves airbrushed to make us look better on the outside than we actually are. And we see hypocrisy all over our culture. Uh, it is so easy for us to call out the hypocrisy uh, of the society that we live in. Uh, there's some very classic cases. Uh, Christians are given a hard time because they discriminate and because we're judgmental. And that is the case. Often we are judgmental. But the people who said, well, I don't want to associate with Christians because they're so judgmental and discriminatory. Well, in your statement, aren't you also being judgmental and discriminating? You see the hypocrisy here. Our, cultural, our, our culture preaches tolerance, and yet we will not tolerate those who are intolerant. Talk about hypocrisy. Or we say in our culture that there's no such thing as absolute truth. We live in a very relativistic society and say, well, absolute truth, that cannot be known. We cannot, we cannot reach that. But you do realize that in making that statement, you are making a statement of absolute truth. 
against making statements of absolute truth. That is hypocrisy. And Christians, we are not immune to this. Uh, And it's easy for us to throw stones at the culture that we live in. But hypocrisy is live and well among us. And hypocrisy takes on many forms that we need to be aware of inside of ourselves. Uh, Jesus talked about several of them last week. Uh, If you need to be reminded, you can look at Luke chapter 11, starting at verse 37. But one of the major forms of hypocrisy that Jesus is warning his disciples about is this. That as Christians, we live as hypocrites when we fail to continually see our need for repenting of our sins and believe and believing the gospel. So the Pharisees had gotten to a point where they actually believed the hype about themselves. And what I mean by that is they actually thought that they were better than other people because of how they kept the law. They believed that God loved them more because of their piety and that God loved others less because they weren't as righteous. And how easy would it have been for the disciples to think the same way? There were 12 men in all of history that are called disciples of Christ. 12. It would be so easy for them to think, you know what? I was one of those 12. God must think very highly of me. I must be someone who is extremely special to have the honor of being called as a disciple of Christ, to spend three years with Jesus. This is not something that they probably would have said out loud, but like the leaven that works its way through the lump of, uh, of dough, uh, these thoughts would easily creep into their hearts. And as soon as they start to believe that they are something special, that they are better than other people, that is when Jesus becomes less special. When we tend to elevate self, Jesus fades into the background. And when we begin to believe that, uh, we start to downplay and make excuses and rationalize our shortcomings. We start to believe that we need to repent less and less because we have less and less to repent of because we're good people. But in reality, the opposite is true. If we're walking humbly with the Lord, we actually repent more and more because we realize more and more and we have this growing awareness of the depth of our sin and our shortcomings. And if we don't, a frightfully scary thing is going to happen. God is going to expose us. I don't know about you, but uh, I don't think there's anything more frightening than being completely exposed for who I am. Uh, Have you ever had that dream where you realize that you're late for class and you frantically rush out the door and you arrive in the classroom and then suddenly you realize that you forgot something very important, like to put on clothing? (laughs) Has anybody else had that dream? Maybe it's only me. Okay, that's that's a little embarrassing. But, um, But the fear of being completely exposed is very scary. You know, we try to do this amazing job uh, of hiding our sin, of who we really are, of uh, how evil our thoughts can actually be. 
We try to hide them from others, but we know that we cannot hide them from God. And Jesus reminds His disciples that at some point, it may not be in this life, but at some point, everything will be revealed. We may do such a good job that we can hide our shortcomings for the majority of our lives, but everything will be laid bare in the judgment. So what Jesus is telling His disciples here is, do not be like the Pharisees. Don't consider yourself better than others. Don't think that you sin less. You're not better than other people. You're simply hiding your sin better. At some point, that sin that you are doing such a great job of hiding, it's going to be made known to the whole world. You know, it's sad when we hear of pastors, these men that we, we hold up on or we elevate and place on these pedestals. Isn't it so sad when we hear about their shortcomings and how we hear them fall? It's sad when we hear about a, a pastor who preaches so strongly against homosexuality and then is found to be engaging in homosexual activity. Or the pastor who preaches so adamantly about family, 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 and it's revealed that he's having an affair with another woman. It breaks our hearts. Maybe part of the problem is that maybe we shouldn't put our pastors on pedestals. And honestly, um, I hope that you don't put me on a pedestal. Because I'm going to fall. Because pastors are sinners too. The sins that you struggle with are the sins that I struggle with. My need to repent and believe the gospel is just as strong as yours. My need for Jesus is just as deep as your need. If my job is to point you to Christ, uh, one of the ways and one of the clearest ways that I can do that is through showing you my shortcomings. Because I need to show you how much I need Jesus. And as we grow in our community with one another, we will grow in our ability to confess our sins to one another. And this is so important. As we grow, we struggle to confess to each other because we fear what other people will think of us. I get that. I know that. Um, but we all need to have the same attitude of the Puritan John Bradford. This was said about John Bradford. The pious martyr Bradford, when he saw a poor criminal led to, the execution, led to his execution, exclaimed, There but for the grace of God goes John Bradford. He knew that the same evil principles were in his own heart, which had brought the criminal to that shameful end. You know, we all share these same evil principles inside of us in each and every one of our hearts. So there's no room for judgment. There's no room for hypocrisy. We need to be aware of our own hypocrisy. Jesus says that we need to be aware of falling into this temptation to fear and that we need to fear but what we need to fear more uh, and we need to fear this, excuse me, more than physical persecution. Jesus says that we should not be afraid of those who kill the body. Instead, we should fear God. So after warning against hypocrisy, Jesus goes on to tell his disciples what they really should be afraid of. 
what they really should fear is God. He knew that he was about to enter into a tremendous amount of pain and suffering. Jesus was headed to the cross. He also knew that his disciples were going to suffer and die as well. And he says to them, don't worry about what people can do to you physically. The things that they can do are only temporal. Yes, they may hurt. But be more concerned with the eternal. Don't fear God. uh, Excuse me, don't fear man. Fear God. That is very important. Let me say that again. Do not fear God. Do not fear man. Fear God. And you know that he's not telling his disciples that you need to cower in fear to be afraid of God, uh, to be worried about what he's going to do. Uh, Instead, this fear that he's referring to, it's a reverence. It's, It's an awe. It's a holy respect for the power and the authority of God. Because God has the power and the authority to cast people into hell for eternity. That's pretty significant, if you ask me. Um... Think of your kids. As they get older, they'll eventually come to realize that when a babysitter is there, that babysitter can't do a whole lot to punish them when they disobey. Yeah, they can put them in timeout or something like that. But when mom and dad get there, oh man, that's when the real punishment is going to happen. The same is true in our lives. What people can do to us is insignificant compared to God's power and authority to cast us into hell for eternity. So don't fear the persecution. The disciples' time of persecution was coming. You know, only one, John, died a natural death in his old age. Every one of the disciples uh, was martyred. When we think of our persecution, like I was talking about at the beginning, I don't live in a context where I fear physically for my life as a Christian. That's not the context that we live in. God may call us to that at some point. Uh, He may call us to be in a context where that is reality. But let's be honest for a moment. There are few people here who are going to be martyrs. That's reality. Not many of us are going to be beaten or imprisoned for our faith. Not many of us are going to be like Kenneth Bray, who was just released, what was it, yesterday from North Korea. Uh, being imprisoned there for his faith. No, our persecution looks a lot different, doesn't it? It's more of a verbal, uh, emotional, a social persecution, if you will. We're not a, be, uh, afraid of being beaten. We're more nervous about me being made fun of. Uh, we're not afraid of being put into prison. We're more concerned about being made to feel uncomfortable in, in situations and in circumstances. Our fear is not of death, but of what people will think about us. Now, I'm not saying that we don't face a certain level of persecution, but when you put it into perspective, it seems a little small what we go through, doesn't it? Our persecution pales in comparison. And yet, what happens? We struggle to defend God when He comes under attack. Because we fear for our reputation, we fear about what other people might think. We fear that people might label us as one of those crazy Christians, always talking about God and Jesus, or they might call us ignorant or unenlightened or, I don't know, whatever people would say 
uh, about us as Christians. But honestly, when God comes under attack, we usually remain silent out of a sense of fear. Now, if you overheard a group of people who were talking bad about your wife, wouldn't you come to her defense? You wouldn't let them talk poorly about her. Or imagine this, if you were walking past a group of people and they were saying some disparaging things about your favorite sports team. How would you feel? And what would you do? You would defend them, right? And you would go on proudly wearing their, their colors. You would put their decal on, on your vehicle. Um, we come to the defense of things that we hold dear. Well, what about God? Why is it different when it comes to the Lord? Why are we timid in the face of possible persecution? The answer is because we don't fear God in reality. It was said about John Knox, that great Scottish reformer, at his death, as they were laying him in the ground, they said, here lies one who feared God so much that he never feared the face of man. Honestly, if that's what people said about me when they were laying me in the ground, um, I would feel like that was a life well lived. Jesus tells us that we don't have to fear. And he gives us three reasons for this. And this is how we're going to conclude this morning with these three reasons. All we have to do is to remember the truth. Now this isn't always easy because we are very forgetful people why we're reminded every Sunday of our need for the gospel, of our need to repent of our sins and to trust in Christ. Last week we saw people wanting a sign from Jesus, but Jesus said one wouldn't be given because of what God has already revealed to them. We have God's truth revealed to us. We need to trust in God's revelation. We need to be reminded time and time again of who God is and what He is, has done and what He is doing. And this will drive away fear. So these three things that we need to be reminded of. Number one, do not be afraid because God the Father cares about us. We need to be reminded, God cares about you. God honestly cares. In our passage this morning, it says that we are more valuable to God than the sparrows that He takes care of. Uh, we're more valuable than the flowers of the field which He clothes in their splendor. It says even the hairs on our head are numbered. We are of great value to God. Heath chose for our, our affirmation of faith this morning, Heidelberg Catechism, Excuse me. Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer one. And I can't even talk about it without getting emotional. Because of the sense of, of hope and the caring God that is portrayed in this, what is our only comfort in life and in death? It says that we are not our own, but we belong to Christ. And it goes on to say that even the very hairs of our head are numbered. God cares 
for us. We do not have to fear. In fact, God cares about you so much that He was willing to sacrifice something so dear to His heart in order to rescue you from your sins. What other thing that God has made can say that? So don't be afraid. God cares about you. And not only does God the Father care about us, but we also don't need to be afraid because we have an advocate. And his name is Jesus. We have a person who is in our corner who rises to defend us, not only here on earth, but more importantly, in heaven. As Jesus says, uh, starting in verse 8, that everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But we are warned the opposite is true as well. If we do not acknowledge Jesus here on earth, he will not acknowledge us here in heaven. He deals justly with us. But when we place our faith in Christ and we make a stand for Him, He is standing with us. He is defending us before God the Father. And as Christians, we never need to have the feeling that Christ, we always have that feeling that Christ is at our side. He is advocating for us. And then we get to verse 10. This passage, or this verse here, that is troubling. What is Jesus talking about here? This blaspheming against the Holy Spirit that will not be forgiven. Uh, We can't go through this passage and not address this for a moment. This is very important. Um, What is this that he is talking about here? This sin that will not be forgiven. This unpardonable sin it is often called. This is willful, intentional, deliberate denial of the Holy Spirit and of God's work in a person's life. What it is, it is attributing to to Satan the works of God. It is getting things so completely backwards that we think that what what is the work of the Holy Spirit is a work of Satan. That the truth is a lie, and that Christ is actually Satan himself. This unpardonable sin is denying the Holy Spirit. The immediate thought that you might have is, is this something that I can do? Is this unpardonable sin one that I can commit? Let me rest and let me uh, rest your fears. The, the fact that you fear committing this sin means that the Holy Spirit is at work in your heart. Those who blaspheme against the Holy Spirit do not have the Holy Spirit working in their hearts because if you do, you would not commit this sin. Those who commit this sin are the ones who don't care and have never cared. And they are the ones who will receive the just punishment for their sins. So as a believer in Christ, one who has the Holy Spirit inside of them, can you blaspheme the Holy Spirit? No. But those who do, they receive God's just punishment. So, not only does God care, not only do we have an advocate, but we also have the Holy Spirit's power within us. So don't be afraid because the power of God, the Holy Spirit, is in our hearts.
Jesus told his disciples that the Holy Spirit would give them the words to say exactly when they needed them. And we see that played out in Acts chapter 4 and in the rest of the book of Acts as well. Uh, in Peter's speech before the Sanhedrin, countless times in the life of Paul, he's given exactly what he needs when he needs it. We become paralyzed with fear. We think, you know, I, I just don't know what to say. We should be preparing ourselves to always give an answer, as, as uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15. But we also should trust that the Holy Spirit will give us exactly what to say, exactly when to say it. It may sound like we are just a blubbering mess and it makes no sense what we are saying. But the Holy Spirit uses us in our weakness. So in conclusion, don't be afraid of what people can do to us. God cares Jesus is advocating for us, and the Holy Spirit is with us. But do be on our guard. We need to be on our guard against hypocrisy. Take sin seriously. We cannot hide it. Instead, let us confess our sins to the Lord. Because God took sin so seriously that He sent His Son to die for it. So now we don't have to fear our sin being exposed because it has been covered. And it's been covered with the blood of Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Our most gracious God and our Father in heaven, we admit, we admit that we are prone to fear. We admit that we are a people who are prone to hypocrisy. Father, I pray that the only thing that we would fear is you that we would have a holy and a reverent awe of who you are. Help us to know and to believe that you actually care about us. Remind us that we have an advocate, your Son, Jesus Christ, who is defending us. Lord, I pray that we would realize that we have the power of the Holy Spirit working inside of us that you have given us power. Help us to be brave. Help us to be courageous for you. And I pray that you would use even us for your glory and for the advancement of your kingdom. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.